As many of you know, we've been working through the book of Acts in our time together. Uh, we've just finished Philip, a, a guy who God called to move. He sets his family down, builds a family, and continues to minister from his place. At some point, we'll get to Acts 13, where the church sends out missionaries, uh, starting with Saul and Barnabas. This morning, we have the privilege to hear from a missionary that we had a part of sending out in 1977. We've supported the hearts since then, so I want to welcome Dick Hart to our pulpit. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Uh, Robin and I are delighted to be here. Robin, uh, why don't you stand up and they can see who you are. Uh, Robin is my better three-fourths. Amen, men? Amen. Uh, we're very happy to be here. Did you know that God loves stories? Uh, w when you read the Bible, you discover that much of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is written as stories. And when he inspired the writers, some of it comes out of story, and you kind of discovered that as you looked at the book of Acts. Let's read together Acts 1, verses 1 to 8. I'll do the reading, but if you have your Bible and you want to open up in your translation, go ahead. But remember, <clears throat> there are certain clues here that tell us this is a story. Here it goes. Whoops, got to take my glasses off. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So here it is, Luke, we believe, is the author of this book, and he's writing like a story to his friend Theophilus. And now he's going to tell him about everything that happened in the early church. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem and to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, some messages are pretty complicated, uh, but this one's going to be very simple. It has one point. <laughs> the only word that you need to remember is the word witness. That's the word we're going to talk about today. Because my, uh, my theme is this, that you and I are the witnessing generation. You know, when Luke wrote this to Theophilus, that generation was the witnessing generation. Every generation of believers together is the witnessing generation because if we don't do it, it all stops. And nobody hears about the Lord Jesus. So we are the witnessing generation. Uh, I define witnesses from the dictionary, of course. Uh, uh, witnesses are people who see and tell. Isn't that neat? 
Show and tell is what our kids do at school. And, you know, a lot of times we adults wish there was a show and tell opportunity for us too. <laughs> we try and figure out some way to do it somehow. But this is a see and tell opportunity if we're a witness to see what they have seen or touched or heard or smelled or tasted. Now, if the Bible, like the book of Acts, is about stories, stories are made up of conversations. Uh, we get the feeling that we were there when the conversation happened, when we read uh, the book of Acts. Sometimes if you, if you hear the book of Acts being read to you, and you close your eyes, you can almost imagine being there with all those people. So when we witness, we do conversations. Uh, and uh, I think we do conversations, we, we share short stories of what God has done in our lives. We give credit to God for good things that happen to us. We share ways that God is helping us cope with tragedies. Isn't that interesting? What we have to talk about with people is not necessarily all the good things that we have, but some of the things are the tragedies. I, uh, we've just moved to Marion, Indiana. It's a small town between Fort Wayne and Indianapolis. And while we were there, there was some vandalism that was done to a black church. Someone went and painted graffiti on it. It was out in the countryside. A farmer close by saw it, and he went with his crew and he painted over all of it. But the black community came together and they said, what can we do? What should we do? What should be our response? Even though the white farmer has cared for the problem because he loves us, is there something that we should do should this happen again? So what they did, the, the local leader who's in a prayer group that I go to, she called together a bunch of us for breakfast and about eight of us sat down together and talked, what should we do? One lady said we should pray more. We should pray and ask God uh, what we should do. And then the lady who brought us together, she said, you know, this is a tragedy, but there's a silver lining to it. Have you ever thought about that? To every tragedy, there may be a silver lining. A silver lining, it means there may be something good that we can bring out of this. And she said, the good thing that is happening as a result of all of us who ne normally never sit together are sitting together as people who love the Lord Jesus who are trying to think and pray together about how we might be able to create good as a result of the bad. That's what God does. He takes tragedy and he can turn it into something that has a blessing, although we still are faced with the tragedy. Uh, another kind of conversation. We treat God with respect and love in the words we say. The workplace is full of people who don't know about God yet, and so you'll hear their conversations where there's a lack of respect for his name. And certainly, there's no love lost between them. But if we treat God with respect and love in the words we say, it's a kind of uh, non-written uh, sort of conversation that we have. We share God's good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We tell of the hope that God's good news adds to our lives. These are some of the conversations that we have. But witnessing normally comes through conversation. Again, it's part of this thing that God has. God has story happening all the time. Uh, now I would like to introduce to you 
some of our friends in Jordan. These are all committed believers. You see the picture now of my wife and I. Uh, and you and us were witnessing together to the Arab people all these years in Jordan. About 40 years ago, you began supporting us. Uh, an exciting thing happened. The first time I came here to preach, it was at the other church on uh, Broadway. And at the end of my message, I invited all of those people who wanted to say to the Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything for you, Lord, wherever it might be. It may be here in Fargo or it may be somewhere else. There were about four women that responded to that. Uh, one was a student at NDSU. Uh, three others were doing other things. And they said, no, we don't know what it is that God wants us to do. Uh, but we are willing to do whatever it is that we discover it is that he wants us to do. You know, they were all between the age of 18 and, and uh, about 23. And uh, my wife and I followed up with them afterwards uh, through Bible studies. I visited here a second or a third time after that just to meet with those people. Some of those people are now homemakers uh, who are working in the community. Some of them are gone completely from Fargo. And one of them turned out to be a missionary who went to uh, Papua New Guinea, one that you support. She has another name, but her name was Kay Hansen. She made the commitment not knowing what it was that God wanted to do, but she was excited about the story of God and she wanted to spread it wherever she could. Now, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you the same opportunity uh, for people to say, I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything for the Lord. And you know, hallelujah, God is transgenerational. He doesn't care if you're young or you're old or you're somewhere in between. All of us have the opportunity to say the same thing and see what God might do uh, in our lives. Now I want to tell you about the first person on my list. Uh, it might seem to work. Robin, you're exactly right. It closed down. Why it does that, who knows? I'm sure there's some technician here who knows why, but uh, our friends in Jordan witness as mothers. Are there any mothers here? If you're a mother, please raise your hand. Hey, wow. And the friends in Jordan, they witness as fathers. Fathers, please raise your hands. Great. As sons, any sons here? Please raise your hand. Hallelujah. Any brothers? Yes. Uh, any sisters? Please raise, there you go. Any daughters? Yes. Any citizens? Wow, yes. Uh, any scholars? Yes. Any teachers? Great. Uh, and any refugees? Okay, all of these people in our local church are witnesses. You know, it's we lived in Jordan all these years, and it was fun to hear the verse that was read by our brother at the beginning before the offering. Uh, I think it was before the offering. I don't know. At some point in time, he, before the prayer, there it was. He read Romans uh, 1, uh, 16 and 17. That was the verse that Rabbi and I chose to go to Jordan with. Now that's been our theme uh, our whole 40 years of ministry. So we felt like uh, we're in the right place at the right time. Uh, so in the country of Jordan, there are about 150,000 people who on their, on their birth certificate when they're born, it says C for Christian. Uh, on your birth certificate, it determines what religion you are. 
C for Christian, actually it's M, Messiahi, or uh, and Messiahi is the word Messiah in uh, in Hebrew. In Arabic, the word for the Messiah is Messiah, very close, and it means that you're a follower of Christ. Or it says M for a Muslim. Uh, so we have 150,000 to 200,000 people in Jordan. On their birth certificate, it says M for Christian. And from those people, there are probably about 20 different denominations. Uh, many denominations of Orthodox, many denominations of Catholic, many denominations of Evangelicals, uh, and all of them together are in the country of Jordan. Those people within all of those groups who've made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, we call mu'minin, or believers. And there are believers in all the denominations. The people in our local church, it's a very small local church, of about, uh, we probably have about 50 members, uh, are committed believers from many of those backgrounds. In the country of Jordan, there are probably 150 churches because the kingdom of Jordan accepts Christians as participants in the society, although uh, we are a minority. We are 2% of the population. 98% of the country is Muslim. At the same time, there is a role for Christians to play. You'll find that the percentage of Christians in the civil service, for example, is far beyond 2%. It may be 20-25% of the civil servants are, um, are are from a Christian background. It's also the case that in the banking industry, uh, this is one area where Christians have been able to uh, have a foothold. And so some of the major banks are owned uh, by Christian families. Now, here we are, a very small uh, minority, 2%, and our church is a very tiny church. And now I want to talk to you about the people from our church and how they have served as witnesses. Uh, we're, we're all in the business of encouraging each other. We have Michael and Hiba, the parents, and we have uh, Stephen and uh, his brothers, Mark and Abraham. All of these folks are witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark is a boy of about, uh, about 12 now. But from the time he was about 9 or 10, he was praying in the church. You ever heard the prayer of a child? It's, it's, it's without the fancy talk. It's without being uh, grammatically correct. It comes from the heart. And so as we were inviting people to pray in our local congregation, Mark would pray. Of course, everyone was surprised, but he would pray and he would talk about how he loved the Lord Jesus and he asked that the Lord would lead all of us to be witnesses for him. The impact of Mark praying on the rest of the congregation uh, knows no end. And here I am talking to you about it three years later because I saw the faith of that little boy who knows the Lord Jesus as well as I do and who is committed to letting everybody know about him. Now his dad is an inventor. His dad has been, uh, uh, grew up, his, uh, his dad, drove around uh, a man picking up recyclable metal. He, he collected all of that tin, and then they sold it by weight. And then he uh, gave an opportunity for his children to get an education, and Michael became an engineer who builds things out of metal. And one day he decided, you know, there is a niche market, and it's fire-rated doors. I think I'm going to 
create a fire-rated door. Nobody in Jordan has fire-rated doors. You have to bring them all from outside. This is a door that it's a steel frame, and it's a door, and it has to withstand something like 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit for half an hour. And then after that, it has to have 15 minutes of high-powered water sprayed at it, uh, right solid on the door. Because apparently, in fires, doors that fall on people are the ones that kill them, a lot of people in fires. So he, brought, he put his uh, doors on an airplane, sent them to America, went to Chicago, underwriters' laboratories, went through the test, passed, came back, and he, at the time, was the only person in the country who had uh, underwriters' laboratory doors that he was selling, $1,000 a door, not a bad business. Uh, and he now puts doors in hospitals and buildings. He sells tens and scores of doors at a time. Here he is, a man of God who realizes that I, as a businessman, as a businessman producing doors, have a remarkable opportunity to witness to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. The fact that the Lord is, transforms us, the fact that the Lord gives us peace. And now, this is what he does. He produces top quality doors. He does it with integrity. And as opportunity opens, he starts conversations with the Christians and Muslims around him about the Lord Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That's what we do. We start these conversations. Now his wife has the opportunity of helping with their children. In Jordan, the school system goes like this. You go to school from 8 o'clock in the morning until 2 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe 3 o'clock, and then you come home. Basically what happens is the teachers tell the kids what they have to learn. They don't necessarily teach the kids what they have to learn. They tell them what they have to learn. So then the children come home, and, you know, there's some sort of snack time. And then from about 5 to 8 or 8.30 at night, the parents are teaching them, actually teaching them the lessons that the teachers told the kids that they had to learn. So Hibba has this opportunity of teaching her three boys. And, you know, when kids are home after school, their first thought is not to study. At least that's the way it is in Jordan. And as I recall from our own children, that wasn't the way it was. But Hibba continues to teach her kids at home. And in addition, when her kids are at school, she has the opportunity of meeting with women, women her own age, who are trying to live for the Lord. So here's Hibba raising up her children to know and love the Lord and to get their work done. And she also is in the business of encouraging young women to follow the Lord. Conversations that she has with her kids and with her own children. You know, uh, witnessing for the Lord in Jordan is not a lot different than what it is here. It takes, uh, it takes energy, it takes commitment, it takes creativity. Now I want to tell you about these two people. Can we go on the next slide, please? Ah, there we are, our sisters. Uh, Georgette is a banker. Anyone here who's worked in a bank ever in their life? She's a banker. Uh, and her sister uh, is an accountant. And her sister's child is a child going to school. The three of them all have a role in witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. This last summer, Georgette was one of the uh, adults that went with a short-term missions trip from the churches in Jordan to the country of Switzerland. They were there for a month. 
ministering to other young people in the country of Switzerland. Uh, Georgette and Mariana and Crystal, the daughter and niece, have a, a, a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and they do whatever they can to tell his stories to other people. Next slide, please. Citizens and community witness. Uh, these are two people who are close to our heart. Um, in our local church, you know how in churches people sit in pews? Well, uh, Joseph and Suad usually sat in the third pew from the front on the right. And uh, Robin and I usually sat in about the third pew on the left from the front. Uh, you know, you, you get these uh, customs. Uh, and Joseph was a shy guy. And I won't ask you, I, I, I'd like to ask this question, but nobody would raise their hand. I going to say, are there any shy men or women here? Raise your hand. Of course, you won't raise your hand. <laughs> You're shy. Well, our brother uh, Joseph is shy. How can I witness as a shy guy was the question that he would ask. Uh, you know, he would never get up and speak, or very, very rarely. Uh, the only time that he would pray in public was after Dick Hart prayed in Arabic. <laughs> I'm sure he thought, Dick Hart praying in Arabic out loud, he has this uh, creative way of talking uh, my, his own language, but not perfect Arabic. If he can do it, and he's willing to suffer the embarrassment of not praying right in Arabic, well, certainly I can. And he would stand up and he would pray in perfect Arabic, quietly and then sit down. So he and I, you know, understood each other. But as a shy man, he asked, how can I witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? He was an accountant. He retired from business. And after he retired, he opened up a small uh, supermarket next to his house. Uh, he employed some people to, to operate the supermarket, and they sold everything that you would normally want to buy at something like a 7-Eleven or Speedway or a, con a small convenience store. Uh, and he sold all that stuff. And he said, you know, I'm sure there is something I can do with this supermarket where I can witness for the Lord. So as a, an accountant and as a businessman who's always looking for profit, he said, this is what I'll do. Everything in my store, I will sell for less, maybe 2 or 3% less than all of my neighbors. And I will put their goods in a plastic bag. That's, we still use plastic in Jordan. And, but inside the plastic bag, I'll put a gospel tract. And if the people are Sri Lankan maids, who come from Sri Lanka and speak the languages of Sri Lanka, I will try to find tracks in those languages. If I know they're English speakers from the Philippines, I will try to put it the Filipino language. If they're Arabs, I'll put it in Arabic. And then this will be the way that I will witness. A shy guy. But then he said to me, you know, in 20 years of running this business and putting in tracks, I never received one single complaint. Isn't that amazing? Muslim country, Christians are a minority, no complaints, 
And uh, he said, I'm sure it's because I charge less. Uh, Isn't that great? So I'm saying if you're a shy guy or a shy gal, shy man, shy woman, shy boy, shy girl, ask the Holy Spirit for what you can do to make the gospel known in your neighborhood. Get a conversation going. Now, his wife, Suad, worked for the Ministry of Planning. This is a very important ministry in Jordan. Uh, It has to do with the people who relate to the World Bank and all the international organizations that have to do with funding countries like Jordan. Uh, It has to do with the long-term planning. Uh, Whatever they come up with ends up going to Parliament or ends up going to the Royal Court, ends up going to the King. These are the things that we should be thinking about. And then the, then the response comes from the parliament or it comes from the royal court or it comes from the king saying, you're right on or tweak it here, tweak it there. Very important in the growth of the country. Her job was to be the assistant to the minister. Now here we would call it the secretary of planning for the United States. In this case, it was the minister of planning for the country of Jordan. There was a policy of what procedure should be. She said to me, she shared with me, you know, people in the government who make the rules, who make the rules to keep us from corruption, some of them are the ones that try to (laughs) corrupt. Uh, She said, I would have members of parliament who would come to my office. They knew the procedure for employment, but they would say to me, Suad, nice to meet you. I'm wondering, is there some way that you can bring my cousin into an employment position? He's a good man or a good woman. They have the skills that you need. And she said they would try to bypass the system that was there. Even on occasion, some of those same people would come to my home and uh, they would ask the same sorts of questions. And then each time as as we all can do, especially, I think women can do this, in a very nice way. Well, thank you so much for your visit. Uh, It's been a pleasure to see you. Uh, But we have a procedure that the minister would like us to follow, and it's this and this and this and this. Now, in a country like Jordan, ministers change about every two years. Uh, The king changes them. And so Suad served with many ministers year after year after year and they all appreciated her because she was a woman of integrity she followed the rules she was kind and polite and generous but she followed the rules and by this she was able to support the minister in his work and support the planning development of the country. What a testimony! There are some kinds of conversations that are quiet and unheard. Those kinds of quiet and unheard ones have to do with our character and how we operate. And then they say, ah, you know, I'm a Muslim. I I don't understand the Christian message. I know there was one woman that I worked with once. She was a real Christian. She told the truth. What a testimony. And I'm sure there are many of you here who are just like Suad. Next slide, please. Ibrahim and Insaf own a business. It's in downtown Jordan, downtown Amman. 
they, uh, they import watches from around the world, and then they sell them to people who come by. And they have watches, <laughs> all kinds of prices. He said to me, Dick, well, you know, if you want to buy a watch for a dollar fifty, I can sell you one for a dollar fifty. But, you know, it's so kind that you have to throw away. If you want to buy a watch that'll last you, well, yeah, you have to spend a little bit more money. Now, you probably don't want to spend $5,000. I have some of those, but, you you know, we get something a little bit less. So his shop is in downtown Amen. We think of him as our center city missionary. Now, most women in Jordan uh, dye their hair black. So you cannot tell how old they are. I was in church once, and I'm talking to a lady, and she told me she was 90. I couldn't believe it. You know, her hair was as black as black could be. And uh, then I learned, well, this is what everyone does. Well, sometimes this man also dyes his hair, looks black, but usually the black goes out and the white comes out again. Uh, he's a safe person to talk to. Muslim background believers find that Ibrahim is a person they can come and talk to when they're struggling with their faith and their relationships with their own family. He's the kind of person that people come and talk to in the normal course of doing business where they can get help in their Christian faith, whether they come from a Muslim background or a Christian background, or they may be a seeker. He has a reputation of being available in his shop in downtown Arman. And you know, the way they do business in Jordan, if you're going to buy something, you never know if it's going to be a high-priced watch or a low-priced watch. person comes into the, house, into the shop, and uh, the shopkeeper says, Ah, oh, nice to meet you. What are you looking for? I'm looking for a watch. Oh, what do you drink? Uh, tea or coffee? And the person says, oh, tea. So he says, Okay, wait a minute. Have a seat. Sit down. So you sit down on a little stool or chair, and uh, he goes and heats up some water. How do you like it? Uh, little sugar, middle sugar, a lot of sugar. And then he does the sugar and uh, you sit down and you drink your tea, little glass, glass, glass cup. And then uh, he says, now talk to me about what it is you want. And then he takes on a conversation about, and then he asks the person the name. They say the name, ah, oh, where are you from? And then they tell them the city they're from. Oh, yes, I know your uncle. It goes on and on like that. And then when they're done, uh, they'll buy something. Not all the time, but at least this is the way shopkeepers do things. So Ibrahim is a great person for finding opportunities to start a conversation about the Lord Jesus. They know he's a Christian. Eventually they'll know he's a Christian. They may be a Muslim. And he opens up and he talks to them. A great. He's also a Gideon. Any of you heard of the Gideons? Uh, he's a Jordanian Gideon and they pass out Bibles wherever they can. A great way uh, to start a conversation. All right, the next one. Nabil Nghada. Uh Nabil is a scholar. Uh, there are not a lot of Christian books, or there weren't uh, 25 years ago that were written in Arabic, but he would know almost all of them. It may be two or three hundred. And he's a, a writer, and he's written courses for the Program for Theological Education by Extension, which was the organization that I led for many years. He has the ability to hear the culture. You've seen those sorts of people. There, there are some people who are listening to a conversation, and then there are some people who listen at a deeper level. And when they write, 
They're writing to the deeper level. This is a gift that the Lord has given him. And he's helped to lead writing teams that have written over 40, over, written 40 textbooks at a college level. Great guy. Loves the Lord Jesus and is a person who is stimulating conversations not just in the office where he works, but around the Arab world. Books that he has had a hand at leading in the writing are used in Syria. They're used in Saudi Arabia. They're used in Iraq, in Lebanon, in Israel, in Palestine, in Jordan, in Yemen, in Egypt, in Sudan, in Sweden, in Canada, in Michigan, in, in, uh, and in Sydney. All these places where people are using PTE books. And the unique apparatus of the PTE is you study your book at home four to six hours a week, and then you come together in a weekly face-to-face -face seminar with five to seven other people led by a facilitator who asks questions. He asks questions, and the whole purpose is to stimulate conversation about what we've studied. And then those same students are applying it everywhere they go outside. Nabil has a great gift of writing to the culture of the people and integrating the scriptures and biblical skills into it. His wife was a teacher. She was an excellent teacher. She got a full scholarship, including, as they call it, pocket money, to go to uh, American University of Lebanon, which is sort of the Harvard of the Middle East, of the Arab Middle East. And uh, the scholarship came from the U.S. Embassy many years ago. And she graduated, came back to Jordan, and she taught English in some of the finest private schools in the country. But a change happened four or five years ago. She came to a point where she could not remember the recipes for the food that she was cooking. Came to the point where she couldn't remember what she said five minutes ago. And so she would repeat what she said again. Uh, eventually it was discovered that she was getting Alzheimer's. She comes to our church every third Sunday when Nabil comes to preach. She walks into the church, she shakes my hand, says, hi Dick, I'm glad to see you. How are things? And I tell her. Five minutes later, if I'm walking around the church, she says exactly the same thing. Another time, another time. At the end of the service, she says the same thing. But you know what she does? Every time she says it, she has a smile a mile wide. Her attempt is to encourage. Her attempt is to give me the joy that she still experiences in her life because she's a believer who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing. You know, I, my grandmother had something like that and the last 10 years of her life, uh, she didn't know her name, she didn't know the name of her husband, many, many things. And she always had a smile every time you went. I hope that I will have a testimony like that should I get Alzheimer's. And if you know anybody who has it, and they give you a smile, and they're a believer, think of that as their witness to you. That, okay, things are not the way I thought they were, but I'm happy in Jesus. It's a great way to share. It's a great way to start a conversation. Here I am, I'm starting a conversation with you about our sister, Rada, who continues to encourage 
everybody around her through her smile and her kindness. Next slide, please. Uh, Rafiq and Gigi, they're refugees. Uh, they were part of the Arab Spring in Egypt where some Christians in some places became persona non grata. Uh, they were advised by a Muslim friend, you can stay in Sharm sheikh and hold on to all your wealth but lose your children or you can leave the country, lose your money and save your children. Of course, he chose his family, went to Turkey and now he's in Jordan. They're refugees looking for a place where they can live. They've got a testimony. They're absolutely convinced that the Lord is guiding them each step of the way. And they share it with everyone. And the people they're talking to, many of them are rich. And they cannot fathom how this family can be full of joy of the Lord when they have nothing. But that's what happens to many of us. Starting a conversation in spite of the situation they're in. Next slide, please. We are his witnesses, all of us, in Moorhead and Fargo, nearby communities and beyond. This is what we are to do, all of us. And you know what? I'm looking at you. I know you are doing it. I'm not saying you're not. You are doing it. I'm saying continue. Next slide. Uh, you know, sometimes we need ideas for witnessing, and I'm suggesting that you explore some of our favorite websites www.worldventure.com and witness around the world. Uh, www.pt.org and witness for Arabic speakers. www.whitmanacademy.org and witness in education. And then this YouTube site on witness as citizens. All these, use them as idea stimulations uh, of how you might do your witness. Next slide, please. Uh, as we witness, let God guide your imagination and creativity in helping you start conversations about God and his good news for all. Next slide. Remember, all of us are the witnessing generation. All of us! Uh, young, old, we're all the witnessing generation. The time is coming to an end, I believe. Robin, why don't you come forward? We would like to give your church something. It's a testimony from us of your faithfulness. Of your faithfulness of your faithfulness and your faithfulness. And those who have come before us, we're grateful. Uh, Pastor, you want to come forward? And Is the chairman of the missions committee here or a member of the missions committee? If you could come forward. Or a couple members. If you can't make up your mind which ones, come. all, all of you come. That's okay. Okay. Robin, you want to say it? As the pastor mentioned, you have been faithful partners with us for 40 years as God has sent us as your representatives over to the Middle East. And we are so grateful. We wouldn't have been able to be there for 40 years without you and your prayers and support. And so we'd like to give you this little certificate. It says, faithful, for you have been faithful. And in Arabic, that word is amin. So in recognition of your faithful partnership for the gospel with Richard and Robin Hart, we would like to award this certificate to Calvary Church Village Green, Fargo-Moorhead, October 8, 2017. You have partnered with us in Jordan from 1977 until 2017, and we thank you that you have been faithful.
So, Pastor, brother, thank you. Uh, the time is up, right? Okay, good. Pardon me? Friends, it's an incredible feat that we've been able to support them, that we've been partnering with them in missions for 40 years. Uh, Jordan is not an easy place to do ministry, and God used you. And so as they kind of turn their chapter over into retirement, let me pray for us, pray for them, giving thanks for their ministry. Father, I give great thanks for Dick and for Robin. Father, for the 40 years of service. Father, countless hours of them pouring into believers in Jordan and all the countries surrounding. Father, thank you for their work training people, training pastors and believers, Father, in good theology and in good teaching. Father, that your name would be spread all over the Middle East. Father, thank you so much for their faithful testimony, for their witness. Thank you for their challenge to us, Father, to continue to witness and to testify to who you are and to what you've done. And Father, as Robin and Dick take these next steps into retirement, Father, we pray that you would continue to lead them, you'd continue to guide them, you'd continue to make yourself known to them and through them. Father, thank you again so much for them. We give you glory, Father, for all the work they've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.